1: With the ink now dry on the pages of this athletic season, now is the appropriate time to reflect on the teams, games, plays, and stories that left their mark on Gator Nation over the last 10 months. On this special edition, we asked FloridaGators.com senior writers Scott Carter and Chris Harry to share some of their favorite memories in a wide-ranging discussion covering team milestones, individual triumphs, plays that took our breath away, and stories that surprised us. We also took a look into the crystal ball to forecast the storylines that will likely shape next year after it all gets going again in the fall. Serving as a companion piece to Chris and Scott's best of the season lists on FloridaGators.com, we kicked off the conversation by asking Chris to take us through the criteria he used to determine his top 10 team moments of the year.
2: You know, you look at The impact of the moment, I think, more than anything else. And uh, I even I had some disagreements. I mean, we can just discuss football with our football guy, Will Pantages here in the office. You know, he had some disagreements about the biggest football moment of last season. And I I think people will agree, however, that you talk about the sports and and the bigger sports. Those are going to have more of an impact. And the list starts, obviously, with the Peach Bowl, because it just had so much to do with a statement that was made with regard to the direction of the program. And, um, you know, and obviously that's something that's very important around here. Football drives this bus here in Gainesville. And uh, what happened that day, not just the magnitude of the victory, but the lopsided nature of it. And to me, and I'm sure Scott will agree with this, after watching as much football as we have the last few years, but contrast from the two previous Michigan games we'd seen uh, in the last three years. They were, uh, ugly. They, were they were very, very ugly. Mm. And this was very ugly the other way. And when you consider it, there wasn't a whole lot of difference between the 2017 Florida team that played Michigan and the 2018 team played that Michigan. Granted, uh, Felipe Franks had had a few snaps of more of experience, but... When you talk about uh, uh, the Gators gained more yards in that Peach Bowl than they did in the two previous games against Michigan combined. Hmm. You know, and I don't want anyone to accuse me of being a football head by any stretch of the imagination um, because everyone knows how much time I, I spend with basketball. But as, as big a win as that as that was, it was uh, I think it was the biggest moment of the year since that Florida State win for the football team. So people may be, wow, that's too easy to go football or whatever. But to me, the biggest athletic moments of the season were the domination of Michigan, uh, and four weeks earlier, the domination of, of Florida state Thanksgiving week. I think some people may even flip those. The team hadn't beaten, um, Florida state since 2012. I believe they'd lost seven of the previous eight, if I'm not mistaken. So, uh, uh, that kind of righted a lot of wrongs righted the ship, if you will, uh, with regard to the football team. And, um, Again, was a statement about the direction of this program.
0: There's a snap to Franks, and Franks puts it in the belly of P Ryan, running off to the left of the 30, to the 35, to the 40. He's into the clear, the 50, the 40, to the 30, the 25, the 20. He's gonna go all the way. That's a touchdown! How my! He just ran 74 yards for a touchdown.
3: As far as someone who would flip those, I'm probably in that group because, you know, the Michigan game, I mean, they needed to win that game for, you know, obvious reasons to finish out strong, to put a, a topper on the season under their first year under Dan Mullen and feel good about themselves, which they did. But I thought, you know, before that Florida State game, if they lost the Florida State game in Mullen's first year, the progress that they had made, it was going to be. I think, tainted some some way, just because no doubt. Florida State had, had really owned the Gators, what, five in a row? They had won before that game. Longest winning
2: streak in series history. Yeah. For FSU. And
3: mm-hmm. it was convincing. You know, they went over there in Tallahassee, 141-14, rolled up 536 yards of offense, and they, they just thoroughly dominated the Seminoles the way the symbols had dominated the Gators a few times in recent years. And Yeah, those
2: games weren't close. The last five games, Uh, with the
3: the maybe exceptional one, maybe, but uh, otherwise
2: they were not close.
3: I just remember before that Florida State game, it, it was either here on the podcast or something I wrote for the website saying that you know it was it was as important as you know the bowl game was to get into a New Year's Six bowl. I still thought the win over Florida State was the one that they they had to have for recruiting for fan perception, and just really to skid off the skid. I mean, that rivalry, like Chris said, it's always been cyclical, mm-hmm. Uh but they had never won five in a row until, what, started in 13 through 17, and you didn't want it to get the sixth in a row if you're Florida. No. And, you know, I, I just thought that was a statement win. You know, you could argue either way. I mean, Michigan had owned them, too. It almost feels in some way that Michigan is in the SEC or is some kind of a yeah. common rival. With the way they played over uh, recent years and uh, and those games have been ugly for the Gators as well. So you stack those two up. No doubt that was the biggest stretch of, I think, the athletic season, the back to back wins. And they lifted Florida into the final AP poll up to number seven. And, and of all the things that, you know, you can argue about last year, that was tied, that tied Georgia at the end of the season. They both finished seventh. And if you would, Go back to last year at the start of the season and just read a lot or listen to the pundits talk about Florida and Georgia and the disparity between those two programs, at least the perception wise. There was no way that they could have finished tied in the national rankings at the end of the year. And yet they did. So, and it was, it was because of the win over Florida State and the win over Michigan.
1: Well, I think naturally, as you said, you know, football moments will rise to the top because of how important they are, the weight that they carry for the entire program. And there's some definite individual football moments and we'll, we'll get to in a little bit. But on the the team side, Chris, once you got past football, obviously driving that bus, what else stood out to you from this past season?
2: I will say this. Scott put up such a good argument. I'm thinking about going back into my story and flip-flopping those uh, those <laughs>
1: two
2: games. But I guess we'd like to do that. Um, it wasn't that long ago on, this, on these podcasts – Adam, that we were talking about the Florida softball team not being home for a Super Region and the the quote unquote down year, and, and I remember a conversation I had with Tim Walton where he said, "Yeah, people are calling it a down year," now. him included. But the Gators go to the SEC softball tournament uh, as a 6C. I believe that was their lowest since Walton had got here. And damn if they don't win the thing for the second year in a row. Kelly Barnhill has just a, a ridiculous tournament against three ranked teams. Uh, it all starts with a with a comeback uh, walk-off win against South Carolina. And again, Kelly Barnhill didn't even Pitch.
0: Pitch. Swing and a fly ball, well struck towards left center field, back towards the wall, and it hits the base of the wall. Adam scores, here comes Reynoso to the plate, and that will do it! A two-run walk-off double for Jordan Matthews, and the Gators walk it off in day one of the SEC tournament.
1: Gators one strike away. Sides back in. 2-2. Swing and a
0: The Gators go back-to-back and claim the program's fifth SEC tournament crown. The Gators turn aside the tide, and the Florida Gators repeat as SEC tournament champions.
2: But that all fueled a run back to the Women's College World Series, the likes of which I think some people probably didn't expect to happen. And uh, I think that run in that SEC tournament was the start of that. So certainly, I think that warrants mentioned in this. Um, what's funny is that every year I go through this and it just kind of gets lost, uh, the track team just wins championships. Hmm. I'm starting to lose count. Is it nine? Scott? They've won
3: nine. Yes, they've won like nine eight.
2: since 2010, and mm-hmm. I think uh, uh, five indoor and four outdoor, if I'm not yeah, mistaken. That's
3: correct. Yeah.
2: Uh, they won another indoor national championship <laughs> this year. Mouse Holloway got a 10-year contract last year for a reason. He just this is all he does. So um, they obviously make this list. The tennis teams run to the final four. It's the it equaled the the best uh, finish in program history. Um, and the best since 2005. Ryan Shelton, I'm sure, would tell you he would have liked to have been there sooner than in his seventh season. But uh, he set the base for where this program, uh, where he wants this program to be. And that's going to carry over, I think, uh, in the in the years to come. And um, one of my favorite, obviously, because I was there and had a great seat for it, was Andrew Nemhard shot against LSU in the SEC tournament.
0: Nemhardt with 10 seconds throws it on to Allen. A weak pass, but Allen gets it. Seven seconds. Now, Kante Johnson drives the ball, goes inside, kicks it to Nimhard, Out front for a three ball. It's good! It's good! It's good! How my! Andrew Nimhard is in a three ball at the top of the arc, and the Gators take the lead. 76 73, and one second to play in the game. How
2: my! Oh my Uh, in in my story I have embedded in there the, the tweet that the Florida football team was in the middle of a team meeting before going out to the uh to practice that day and Billy Gonzalez filmed uh the guys watching the end of that game as an Emhart hit that shot and everyone just going berserk in there and that was all in Gator kind of moment. Everyone loves that time of year to begin with and especially when your team is successful. <laughs> um in March be it in conference tournaments or in the NCAA tournaments and basically that that shot with one second left LSU's the SEC regular season champion that shot puts Florida in the uh, in the NCAA tournament it was just really really cool to be there for that and cool to see the reaction to that all the way around Gator Nation now there were other other moments we can talk about whether it's volleyball winning their 1000th uh, what happened with SEC men and swimming and lacrosse but we encourage uh, our readers to go check out the top 10 team moments at FloridaGators.com.
1: And the, the thing about the the Nemhard shot, too, is I think that also, that veers into the, the top plays category for sure, which uh, I know we want to talk about. Scott, before we move on from, from the team moments, are there any that Chris didn't mention that, that you remember from throughout this year?
3: I think he touched on the main ones. I mean, the one I'm going to just remember because... It was so unexpected. You know, the the U.S. softball team, I mean, I I agree with him. That kind of came out of nowhere. I'd sort of, in my own head, kind of tune out a potential return to Oklahoma City for them because it just didn't seem like it was going to be possible. I mean, the Gators just don't go 12-12 and in the SEC. That's so unlike uh, what the program does on a consistent basis. And yet, uh, Kelly Barnhill got it rolling at the right time and, uh, she really carried that team down the stretch. And I thought for them to make the college world series, I mean, I, you know, that's as big of a surprise as we've seen, uh, for that program since it started. I mean, I just, I just didn't see it coming.
1: Well, it seems like we're mostly in agreement. As we veer sort of into the, the top plays of this past year, I know, Scott, There, I mean, there's some overlap. Some of the top plays come from those games we were just discussing and those moments we were discussing. What are some of the top plays that, that have really stuck with you from the last nine to ten months?
3: Well, I'll just keep going on my softball thing here because, you know, Jamie Hoover's walk-off hit to beat Tennessee in the, uh, the Super Regional. Uh, second straight year, we've seen that situation go down at KDC Show Presley Stadium. I mean, year before last, it was Jordan Matthews and this year, Jamie Hoover. Pitch.
0: Oh, one swing and a line drive. Base it to left field. That will do it. Deja vu, part two. Jamie Hoover walks
3: it off and the Gators are moving on to the Women's College World Series. Some programs, I mean, they don't get those moments ever. Florida has had one in back-to-back years, and uh, we talk a lot about this softball team on the podcast and what a passionate fan base it is, and boy, that team sure seems to reward the fans on a regular basis over there, Uh, and I thought that was a special moment. That that one certainly stands out. You know, this is kind of strange. This is basketball, Chris. And it didn't, it didn't even happen for the Gators, but it's, it happened for the guy who's coming into the Gators, Scotty Lewis. That dunk he had at the McDonald's All-America game. I think that was probably one of the five most viral Gator moments on social media this past year, just because fans still are learning about Scotty Lewis. And then I think their interest in him peaked, uh, tenfold when they see this dunk he pulled off, because we heard he's a good player. You read about him, but when you see something like that, you're like, whoa, it's been a while since the years have had a player this athletic. So that, that's one of that sticks out to me. Chris could probably talk more in depth about it. No, I can't. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that play was in the um, dunk contest, if I'm not yeah,
2: mistaken.
1: Yeah, dunk contest. yeah, I was courtside uh, at the All-American game, and I didn't remember seeing the dunk. So Scott was making me question my own sanity no. and my, my recollection, which apparently at 31 is, is starting to escape me.
2: Well, actually, he did have a dunk in the game. He stripped uh, one of the best players in the country of a, of a ball at midcourt, and then went in and in for a slam. So you must have been going out
1: for for popcorn or a bathroom. <laughs>
2: yeah, I think your sanity's always been
3: questioned.
1: That's very, yeah. Chris, Chris would certainly agree with that.
2: No, uh, I think uh, to Scott's point, um, there'll be a few of those plays when um, Scotty Lewis is on campus, which uh, his arrival is only only a few weeks away.
3: We'll have ample time to talk about him when he gets to it. And one other play I'd have to throw in there to just, off top of my head, I'll get more depth when I write something on the site for this, but the Chauncey Gardner-Johnson interception in the bowl win over Michigan. Uh, we've seen that before. As a freshman, he did it against Iowa in the Outback Bowl, and Uh, You know, he certainly helped his case by going out in style for the NFL draft. Uh, What, two interceptions, winning defensive MVP twice in bowl games in his career. It was a great moment for Chauncey and just celebratory mood inside the, uh, what is it, Mercedes-Benz Stadium.
0: First and 15. There's the snap to Patterson. Patterson wanting to throw and fires the ball. And it's going to be tipped and intercepted. Chauncey Gardner's got a pick. And he's going to go into the end zone. A deflected ball. Picked up.
2: Yeah, now I'll, I'll say with touchdown, the game was out of reach. But his interception on the long pass and the long run back yeah. changes the game. That was huge. because I think at the time it's a one possession or maybe a ten point game at that time. And I had this conversation I mentioned before with Will, our football guy, and I was saying Chauncey Gardner was going, and my other list, of course, is the individual moments. Chauncey Gardner was going there. But uh, Will talked me out of that. And, and say said, if you're talking about a true individual moment, and to Scott's point, we're talking about plays, leads us into this other list, the individual uh, moments. Um, Brad Stewart's interception.
1: Yeah, oh, I was going to say uh, that. That, to me, yeah. was definitely one of the top plays of the year.
0: They've got Derek Dillon and D Anderson, two receivers wide left. There's the snap to Burrow. Burrow dropping back, looking to throw and fire. It's intercepted! Intercepted by the Gators! And it's run back down the sideline by Brad Stewart! Oh, my! Brad Stewart! He's got the first interception Joe Burrow has ever known in his career! And the Gators get a pick-six! they got the ball! They've got the lead! And a minute 45 to play in the game! Oh, my! This place! Yes, indeed! It's an inside asylum!
2: In so many ways, it was seminal in that, A, it helped seal the win over LSU, which was number five and undefeated at the time. But it said, Swamp is back. And the the noise in there that day, just the environment, the atmosphere, and you know all the players talked about it. The fans left here buzzing and everything, and, and uh, LSU fans left here ticked off and talking about how much the Gators suck and all that stuff. The Gators are in their heads again. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, there's, there was a lot to appreciate from that instant. Granted, in the bigger picture, it could have been anybody making that play. But mm-hmm. it was Stewart, and he gets credit for that, obviously. And But that for that one, uh, however many seconds, it was seven seconds of that play. Well, I believe it was a 19 or 20-yard return or whatever. What was going on inside uh, Spurrier Florida Field was uh, something to behold, and that's something I'm sure a lot of people exited the uh, year remembering.
1: Well, And I do think there's there's some definite overlap if we're talking about plays and individual moments because it takes an individual to make a big play. Um, But the the two that I was really thinking about for football when I was going over this in my head, one of them was Brad Stewart, and I don't think we can forget uh, Donovan Steiner
0: a minute six seconds left it's fourth down and 10 for mississippi state at the florida 45 yard line two receivers off to the left and two to the right kill the running back the snap to fitzgerald he's under pressure and down he goes oh my donovan steiner with a safety blitz he just blew him up he just knocked him right out of the ballpark and the gators have made the stop oh
1: my you know that was i think a huge play and it does say something too guys that all these moments we're talking about, as much as this year was about the return of offense or some semblance of offense, these football moments, these are all defensive plays that really right. stood out and, and, I think, made the season in, in a lot of ways.
3: Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, Florida's had a, some great defenses in recent years. They finally, I think, got a an offense that caught up in some ways in Mullen's first year. But you're right, we're still talking about... Some great defensive plays because the two, the games that you just mentioned the the win at Mississippi State and the win at over LSU at home both of those games were in some ways good old-fashioned SEC slobber knockers I think is who would say that Chris I've written that a couple times since Chris, here, yeah, so, so maybe I yeah so those are the exact kind of games they were and the Gators came out on pot both times because of big defensive plays so obviously they, there were some big offensive plays too I mean in that Mississippi State win as well. Uh Dan Mullen, as we saw throughout the year, one thing he has a knack for is is calling trick plays at the right time.
0: All right, the Gators look to throw it this time. They throw it out to Tony, and Tony wants to throw it into the end zone. It's caught for a touchdown by Morrow Stevens. How oh, my Canarius Tony throws a touchdown pass to Morrow Stevens. The first touchdown scored tonight, and the Gators have taken the
3: lead. That gave the Gators a lead and really shifted the tone of that game and, and quieted the crowd at Mississippi State. Some So a huge play. Again, you're, you're right. We talk a lot about defense, but if Dan Mullen's offense showed me one thing throughout the course of the season, it was those trick plays. I think we had, what, there was a tight end pass from uh, Lucas Kroll yeah, yeah. to hmm. – I to think Fl- that was the LSU Felipe? game. To Felipe yeah. in the LSU game. So, again, we've talked about defense plays in those two big wins. But there was also moments on offense where they, it was really a tone-setting plays that helped the Gators be in position to make those big defensive plays.
1: Well, and I'm sure we've uh, we've probably treaded uh, quite heavily on some of Chris's top moments from that top ten list on the individual side. But Chris, fill in some gaps for us here. What what have we not talked about that you deemed to be among the the best of this season?
2: I seriously thought about this being number one just because of the the bigger impact of it when Kelly Barnhill was removed from the game after getting shelled in the first inning at Alabama in the, or against Alabama in the College World Series. Tim Walton put her back in the game later. You know, I talked to them after the game, and the way it ended for her did not sit well with him. And he went to her in the dugout. I'm putting you back in the game for one pitch. She goes, "You're going to make me cry." He goes, "It'll be worth it," mm-hmm. and it was. You didn't have to be there to see that standing ovation from what is basically the biggest stage in in the world in, in softball. Mm-hmm. And people know Kelly Barnhill, know what she's done for the game. Um, and so it was a very, very cool moment. Granted, it was 11 nothing at the time on the way to a 15-3 to loss, season-ending loss, an elimination, an ugly one. Yet at the same time, uh, something special was salvaged out of that that I think uh, allowed Florida to kind of exit that whole situation in a much better place. Because, because let's face it, going back to what we are talking about, they weren't supposed to be there from the conversations we were having. And then they were only there because of Kelly Barn. So um, that whole moment was really, really cool for me. Just, and she talks about individual uh, things. I mean, Florida almost had a a, a a golfer win the individual NCAA championship for the first time in, in 33 years. Sierra Brooks, uh, she had a crazy final round. Uh, I want to say she had, a, she it was eight birdies, four bogeys, and two doubles in her last round. Ended up losing... Uh, Losing uh, by five strokes, but uh, the best uh, finish by a Florida golfer since 1986. So uh, you know, good for her. Um, Florida's gymnastics team had a had a tough didn't, didn't advance to the regional Scott or out of regionals first time since
1: it was 2000, uh, I believe.
2: Yeah, and so uh, they went to the, the national championship meet with uh, four individuals and Gamma Felicia Bourne in her last meet doesn't win the national championship uh, on in floor. You know, good for her. Uh, Florida had its first um, uh, long jump champion at the NCAA uh, outdoor track meet. There are moments like this that happen. Uh, uh, I was at the uh, tennis regional. It was a sweet suite, uh, suite 16 and watched I mean, a three-and-a-half-hour marathon match and watched uh, Duarte Valle come back and win an incredible tiebreaker that sent the Gators to the Elite Eight. I mean, it could have been anybody on the court that would have clinched that match, but it was him. And uh, he, he had a couple match points that could have got the Gators out of there a lot earlier and, uh, didn't happen for him and he persevered. And that was a testament to him and also a testament to, uh, Brian Shelton, what he's done there and, um, how he's changed that program. So, uh, uh, there's some other things in here that people may not know about, you know, may not be in their consciousness, but, um, certainly I, I I hope they'll read it and remember it and appreciate, uh, some of these student athletes for what they were able to do in those uh, particular moments.
1: When, and talking about individual moments, you could do a, a whole separate show just about Grant Holloway.
2: He's at the top of the list. <laughs> He's number one. And, uh, you know, um, Scott saw that this is, this is a different guy. And the world is going to know about Grant Holloway. And I made the contrast in my story. Just like the world will know next year about Caleb Dressel, now Scott can speak better to what Grant Holloway was able to achieve. But you know, I did not forget him. Believe me, he's at the very top of the
3: individual. Moment.
1: That's what I like to call burying the lead, right?
3: Yeah. Yeah. Well, sometimes you you save the best for last. That's the kind of the way I envision what I saw this year, uh, because that was an amazing performance that he put on out in uh, Austin last week. I, You know, I'm not a track and field expert by any means, but I was there covering that with a lot of people who that's all they cover. And there were some oohs and ahs after Grant uh, barreled down that lane over those hurdles in 12.98 seconds because instantly when that score flashed on the, uh, the big scoreboard there inside the stadium, they knew that a 40-year-old record had just fallen that was set by Renato Nehemiah. And, and, again, that's a name that you don't have to be – Student of track and field to remember Ronaldo and the HMI because he was a guy that in the late seventies and in the eighties, I mean his name was it was pretty well known in the sports world because first because of track and then because who's this unbelievable speedster now playing NFL? You know he joined the Forty ers and he was never what I would say a great football player, but he had some moments. But uh, Grant Holloway, that that was one of those performances that I won't forget, and uh, you know that that stadium that night. There was truly a buzz inside that place. You saw Grant's reaction afterward. I mean, that's something that, he, you know, he'd been working toward. And he said afterward, he doesn't know if it would have fallen if he was not racing Daniel Roberts. But those two push each other so hard and have such a great rivalry now. Uh, that's going to be fun to watch, you know, through these. International competitions leading up to uh, next summer's Olympics in Tokyo, and that's the kid from Kentucky who uh, broke uh, Holloway's. I think it was a uh, 16-race
2: winning streak in in the in the SEC meet, and uh, like a couple weeks beforehand, and then Grant Hall uh, Grant Holloway was able to defeat him in in that rematch. In that, uh, so the first athlete in college track history to win the indoor and outdoor high hurdle events uh, three straight years. That's uh, quite an achievement for that kid, and. Quite an achievement, obviously, for his coach, Mouse Holloway. No relation, by the way. Everyone Mm -hmm. asks. They are not related. But that is uh, one tremendous individual and the next great athlete from the Hampton Road area of uh, southeastern Virginia, which cranks out super athlete after super athlete in a variety of sports, obviously.
1: Yeah, and and I would really encourage people to to go back through our feed and check out some of our episodes from... Just in the last couple months, we had Kelly Barnhill on, Uh, Grant Holloway was on the show, and and Scott, I know as you found out, just one of those people you meet who has a magnetism that, as you guys noted, uh, when it comes time for the Olympics, there's going to be a lot of companies that want to align themselves with Grant Holloway, because not only is he about the right things and tremendously talented, but gosh, just so engaging and so personable, you talk to him for 10 minutes and you feel like you've known him forever. Very true.
3: Uh, I just I came um, out of nowhere to cover that and hadn't really been around him at all. Exactly what you just said, Adam. He's he's going to be someone that people are just going to be drawn to because of his personality. He's phenomenally talented. So with the Gators, when you think about this, I, I was on the track the other night after the awards presentation, and Matt Delancey happened to just be there. We were talking, and he says, man, how lucky am I? This guy, Matt, gets to train. Caleb Dressel and Grant Holloway. He's trained those guys every day for the last three to four years. Amazing. And uh, those two guys right there have a chance to be the face the, of the Olympics, actually. Yeah, yeah. they really do. Yeah. That's how fortunate he is. And, and the thing he said, oh, and I'll, I'll vouch for this, I mean, as good as athletes they are, I mean, it's kind of a cliche that maybe we hear too much in sports, but these, these guys are legit good people. Uh, they come from good families. I've talked to. Both sets of parents and I mean they're just they really are grounded people who ha- who had great influences growing up and happen to be uh, unbelievably talented or
1: chosen sports very uh, a very potent combination for sure um we covered a lot of these I think in in the moments, especially team wise, but I'm curious for you guys, are there any games that stand out to you just even from an entertainment standpoint it doesn't even have to be a game that the gators won necessarily or a meet or whatever have you but what do you look back on from this year and just remember being so engaged in the the back-and-forth kind of struggle that you see in some epic games?
3: Uh, You know, I had one, Chris, basketball. I remember being at that Texas A&M game, and uh, that was a game that Kayvon Allen hit eight three-pointers, and Noah Locke hit seven. They combined for 15 three-pointers. I'm sitting there thinking to myself, these guys are hot. I mean, you don't see that very often. That's the first time it's ever happened for the Gators, two guys to combine for that many. And then to shift that quickly to baseball, it was a tough day for the Gators, but boy, that SEC tournament game, uh, against XAM again. Yeah, also A&M. Yeah, at that point in the, the tournament, there was thinking that they had to win that game. And three different times they got down and three different times they, they came back and there was home runs. There was controversial plays. It was just an entertaining baseball game. I was, I was not there, but I was here in the office, watching it closely, and it was just one of those games that ended up not being as important for Florida as some people thought, but if you like a baseball game uh in the postseason against a couple of rivals in the SEC, there was a lot to like about that day.
2: Yeah, I'll piggyback on basketball, though, but I already spoke about that LSU uh game in Nashville at the SEC tournament, but Florida also beat LSU uh in Baton Rouge in the regular season when uh LSU was trying uh needed to win their last two games to um were right in the thick of it to win the conference title. But Florida goes there and beats them in overtime, you know, another game where they're kinda they they were down but then kinda had control of the game and then uh it was it was back and forth. And Kaylon Allen had a ridiculous game in that game too. Uh I wanna say he had uh twenty one second half points one of those games where he didn't shoot at all in the first half, hardly, and then I think he for he, that yeah, in and in overtime, I think it was a like a, a three-point game, and they got an offensive rebound. I want to say forty, thirty or forty seconds left, and uh, you know a late shot clock. You know, shoot, miss, get the offensive rebound. Everyone's you're thinking, hold the ball, hold the ball. They get the ball to Cavon. He's wide open on the wing, and he's like, what the hell? Shot it. Bang! You know, I remember being in the uh, in Maravich, and they're like, "Oh, and that." And the Gators get out of there, and I, that was part of a a, a big five game winning streak late in the season that uh, got them turned in the right direction. Now they turned right around and lost an awful game a couple days later to Georgia. Then lost their season finale at uh, at Kentucky, but then uh, got those two wins in the SEC tournament. Got that second one over LSU with the Andrew Nimhar play. So. Um, because I'm there for so many of those basketball games, and there are so many of those basketball games, that those are the ones that often stick out in my mind as much as any.
1: You know, as, as we talk about plays, we talk about moments, we talk about wins, I also think one of the things you guys do that, that is so compelling and unique to sports writing and one of the reasons that there are always going to be sports writers out there to, to tell these stories are the number of tales people have to tell that maybe you wouldn't know about because they're not a star, they're not on the front of the headlines, I'm curious for, for the two of you guys from this past year, what is your favorite story you got to do that was maybe outside the ordinary? I got to do a story on an incredible freshman last fall
2: and an incredible senior um, in the spring. The freshman being Thayer Hall, the volleyball player. Hmm. I mean, this is a remarkable uh, young lady from a really cool family. Talked to the mother and just talked about, uh, um, learned more about about her her as a person. It's not like this the story of, of overcoming adversity or anything, but just a a really good kid who came from a really athletic family and arrived here as a freshman and quite frankly may have been the best player on the team. She got hurt, I kind of set the team back a little bit. But uh, uh, the entire family. She has a little brother who's going to be a top uh, top fifty recruit in basketball. Uh, I say little brother. He's six nine, but a really interesting young lady who I think uh, will be healthy next season and. Will really help the volleyball team. And then just to contrast that, and and you know this a little bit, Adam, you know, you were around her for a little bit. Amanda Lorenz is just a phenomenal um, softball player here, an incredible ambassador for the game. Along that, she arrived here with Kelly Barnhill. She was number one recruit in the country as a hitter. Um, She walks out of here as the only player in program history to bat over 400 for a career. And when you talk to her, she just just gushes nothing but eloquency with regards to her uh, her time here, and she was a phenomenal player, a phenomenal teammate, the tone setter in the locker room. And I'm sure Tim Walton would never say this, but if he had to rank his five best players, and he he would hate to do that, probably wouldn't do it, obviously. But I bet Amanda Lorenz would be in his top five players of all time. It was certainly fun uh, watching her play all the, all those years here.
3: You know, Adam. I don't know if I have a favorite one. I I oftentimes, well, you know, it's funny. I oftentimes rely on social media to tell me what stories are that they enjoyed the most. I mean, that's that's just the world we live in now. You write these things, you send them out into the world, and some get more traction than others. And, uh, I mean, Mick Hubert's story was one of the ones that got a lot of traction. And I know you had him on your show recently. Here's what I liked about that story just as a writer mm-hmm. or as a reader. I mean, I didn't know a lot of that. You know, Mick Huber, he's one of these guys who's been in the kind of spotlight for a long time around the Gators. And so I started doing this research. and I, I find, okay, well, I know when he started. I know a little bit of his background. But I never found anything that really told me a lot about, like, why he does what he does. Sure. Some of how was he received when he first got here? And so I, you know, I enjoy telling those stories and, you know, Mick's obviously a popular figure with our fan base. So that did get uh, some traction. But, you know, Adam Schuler, for instance, the uh, football player mm-hmm. did not realize he was such a good track athlete in high school. Uh, so he ends up joining the track team at the end of the year, throwing a discus and has a great throw his first time out. But, you know, learning that the guy, he took it so seriously, even though he hadn't done it since high school in the three years since he's been playing college football, first at West Virginia and now here, he would still keep a discus in the trunk of his car. He would stop at parks and stuff and throw this thing because he really (laughs) enjoys throwing the discus. So, those are fun stories. I don't have anything groundbreaking. Anymore. I got something. I got something groundbreaking. What you got?
2: Scott, why don't you tell Adam and our listeners what the most read story at FloridaGators.com was this year, as long as we're talking
3: moments? Huh. Well, it would be the, the helmet burning, right? Yes. Did get the most eyeballs was the uh, team uh, truck leaving Mississippi State after that big win, and they get outside of Starkville there a couple the equipment hours. Truck. The equipment truck. Yeah, the equipment yeah. truck. Uh, the team was already in the air. And the the equipment staff didn't find it out until they landed back in Gainesville and got some texts from the guys in the truck. Hey, we got issues. Well, you know, they had a a flat tire that sent some sparks up into the trailer and a lot of equipment back there. And it caught on fire. You saw the pictures, you know, those helmets. You you just don't see crisply fried gators helmets.
1: (laughs) No, you you don't. No.
3: It was a combination, obviously, between just the rarity of seeing those images and the story of how it went down, and it was just an unusual story. But, yes, as Chris said, there was no story on FloridaGators.com in 2018-19. that got more traffic than that one. I think the folks who probably handled the insurance for that hope that this year, you know, there's not a repeat. Yeah. Well, maybe we'll set uh, something else on fire so we get more people to
1: read <laughs> What And and to that point, one of the things that's so great about an entire year like this and following what happens is you don't know where things are going to go. So, you know, asking you to look into a crystal ball is is somewhat futile. I realize that. But when you guys look ahead, now that we've gone very thoroughly over what's behind us, what are you most looking forward to this coming season, whether it's stories you're looking forward to telling, events you're excited to attend, uh, as you unwind for the summer, what are you going to be stewing about for next year?
2: Well, I'm actually see how the Florida football team obviously responds to what are going to be expectations and probably to some degree unrealistic ones. That doesn't mean they can't achieve them, but, uh, that's, that's what you want. <laughs> you, you want people thinking you're going to do well. And I'm sure Dan Mullen fully embraces that challenge also. But, uh, I've mentioned a number of times my, you know, how much I enjoy, uh, writing and covering this basketball team. Um, it's going to be an all new look with this team next year. Granted, there'll be uh, three very familiar faces. If you talk about the three freshmen that contributed mightily last year, but you're talking about six new players coming in with the possibility of a seventh. Uh, That's something that could develop over the next few weeks. There's going to be some expectations. when you talk about two McDonald's all Americans and Scotty Lewis and Trey Mann and the nucleus of guys coming back. Andrew Nembhard deciding to return Keontae Johnson, the incredible second half of the season. He had Noah Locke, healthy, um, take and shooting from a longer three-point line. Uh, there'll be a lot to uh, look forward to relative to that season. And, again, high expectations. But if you're a basketball coach, uh, you want high expectations because that means you probably have a good uh, program. It probably means you have really good players in Florida. Players next year are going to be – the fans are going to need to get used to them because you're talking about uh, no Cavarius Hayes and no Kayvon
3: Allen. And those guys have been on the court for basically uh, their entire career for the last four years. I, I'll start right there where Chris did the football. Uh, a lot of people are saying, Hey, Florida can win 10, 11 games this year. Uh, I think they could at the same time. I, I don't know. That's certainly not guaranteed. I think the one game I'll be looking most forward to is that first one against Miami because of what a tone setter that could be. And then, of course, I think if the Gators are really wanting to take a big jump in year two with Mullen, I think beating Georgia and having at least the opportunity to play for an SCC championship would be, uh, the right way to go. And we'll see. I mean, I think everywhere you look, uh, there's potential with that team. The big question marks the offensive line. How's that going to hold up a whole? We'll, I'm sure we'll talk more about that in the coming weeks as the season gets near. Uh, besides that, you know, I look, I like to see these young guys, uh, the basketball team. Chris talked about Keontae Johnson and Andrew Nimhardt and Noah Lock. How do they develop in year two to go along with some of the newcomers? Uh, the gymnast, the freshman gymnast last year, Trinity Thomas. I think she has a chance to be another one of those special athletes. The way we talked about Bridget Sloan and future hunter in recent years. Baseball, they were a very freshman laden team this year. Uh, Kevin O'Sullivan always adds good talent after he loses some good players like Brady McConnell and Nelson Martin. Other, but how's that team going to respond to what was? For them, an off year, even though they still made the NCAA tournament, uh, it wasn't what we'd become accustomed to after four straight years in Omaha. So, you know, there's always, that's one thing about being around Gator Athletics and being around coaches who are really at the height of their profession and, and a program like Florida that can draw the top talents around the country year in and year out. So we get to see a kid like Grant Holloway who decides to come to Florida from Chesapeake, Virginia.
2: We're gonna see him in the world championship this summer too, along with yeah. Caleb Dressel in that one year out from the Olympics, all those world championships being contested. So that stuff's gonna happen before we're back here even writing some of this other stuff. So for the offseason, that's uh that's some pretty exciting stuff right there. Mm-hmm.
1: To the point you're just making, I think an, an overarching story for this coming year is bounce backs, right? Because you know, Florida as a program Lost the SEC All Sports Trophy first time I think it was in 13 years, and you figure out well why did that happen? Well, soccer had a a very surprising down year, a losing season. Uh, women's basketball had a rough year. We mentioned baseball. Baseball just slipped into the NCAA tournament. Basketball just slipped into the tournament. Softball 500 in the SEC, and I think there's a lot of things you can look at. Women's tennis didn't have the kind of year they're accustomed to. So I'm curious, even on, on the whole, to see the overall program, how are the bounce backs for some of these teams that struggled that, you know, if we're being honest, they don't know what struggling is like because a lot of them haven't had that before.
2: That's true. And, uh, again, I said about expectations, embracing expectation. You can flip it around and say, how do you respond to adversity? You mentioned basketball didn't have a good season. They went to the NCAA tournament for the third year in a row. If that's adversity, then they're in a pretty good place. But clearly, obviously to your point, Mike White would rather. go through a season without losing 16 games. Uh, just like I'm sure Tim Walton would rather have gone through the season without going, I believe, what was it, 12-12 and 12 in SEC play. Mm-hmm. Kevin O'Sullivan and all those guys. So uh good part about the off season, there's a reset button, and uh, a lot of things will be different. And um, we'll be here to talk about it, I'm sure, next year, won't we? At?
1: We're going to hit the reset button over the summer. Uh, but one thing that will always stay the same, Chris and Scott, you guys will continue writing great content. And again, this is also a time for people to go back and see some of the stuff they missed. So while there's not a lot of new news coming out, check some of those archive stories and listen to some of these podcasts where you tell some of these stories about these athletes you might not know that much about. A lot of them we've mentioned in this discussion alone. Encourage everyone to make sure you check out all that great content that's all archived for you digitally, socially, you name it. And uh, Chris and Scott, thank you guys so much for giving us so much throughout the year. And uh, we look forward to doing it again in the fall. Thanks, Adam. Thanks, Adam. And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to Gator Tales in the podcast app of your choice, and please leave a review to help us continue to grow. Be sure to check out Kristen Scott's full list on FloridaGators.com and come back here next week for a State of the Program conversation with Athletic Director Scott Strickland. Until then, I'm Adam Schick. Thanks again for tuning in to Gator Tales.